Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be, bringing you your best coverage for March Madness. Yes, folks, the most wonderful time of the year is here in sports. Finally, we are back to the area of the calendar where college basketball is king. On the Keeper of the Games podcast, episode number 92, cogsports.com. That's the best place to get the podcast audio each and every week is on our website, cogsports.com. We also upload it to all of the other audio platforms that you're probably using, Spotify, Google, Podomatic, iHeartRadio, and more. You can watch the video, if you dare, on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash keeperthegames. And if you'd like to interact with us, our Twitter handles are at the bottom. Our beloved audio listeners, we won't forget about you. We'll give them to you at the end of the show. And we're at CogPod on Twitter. I am your host, Blake Cripps. Tommy, I know that you have been kind of out of the sporting landscape due to the Olympics because you're not an Olympic guy, which it's okay. We still love you. Nobody's perfect. But I know that you are jazzed up and jacked up for this time of year. We've got a huge show with a ton of college basketball to talk about today. Yeah, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the program that, you know, towards the end of the conference season in college basketball, I tend to get a little fatigued, uh, but that fatigue is completely gone now. March Madness <laughs> is here. Conference tur- uh, conference tournaments are underway. Of course, next week is the big dance, and uh, I've been looking God, forward to this crazy. show for a long time. We've got a lot to talk about, and, and can I just mention before we even get started sure. how great it is to have normal college basketball tournaments again like even last year we had them but they weren't 100 back to normal yet there were some tournaments without fans or pod seating you know that sort of thing but now you've got full arenas uh and and the the fan i mean other than that one incident uh yesterday i believe it was with brian and wagner with the fight in the stands other than that's an aberration uh that's an aberration. Other than that, it's great to have fans back, and uh, it's great to have normal tournaments again. And I, you know, I don't. I've always been a person. I don't mind seeing altercations. I hate when they, you know, like in the NFL. Oh, we have to cut away. We can't possibly show people that. It's your job to show me what's happening through the lens of the camera. I don't care what it is. Show me what's happening at the game. So, yeah, obviously you don't want to see fans getting hurt and all that. Um, but, you know, it's part of the game. We have passion for what we do. What we would like to see, obviously, is for you to like, share, and subscribe to us. And make sure you tell a friend if you uh, feel like we are giving you something that nobody else is in terms of covering Wichita sports. We appreciate all of our followers and subscribers very, very much. On the show today, a women's basketball update as we will touch all three schools, two of which are still in action one of which is no longer playing. Will this be our Kansas State men's basketball season in review? As we're doing the show, we don't know the answer to that. It's looking pretty dicey for the Wildcats in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. We are keeping tabs on that. The Shockers getting set to open the AAC tournament as the number seven seed. How dangerous are the Shockers? And we'll begin today with a Big 12 championship for the University of Kansas Jayhawks. 
It was a struggle last week for KU, a road loss to Texas Christian. They came back for a midweek matchup and a makeup over the Horned Frogs. Got the win. Ochai looked like the player of the year. Hawks had to hold on for dear life last Saturday against Texas. Unanimous Big 12 player of the year, Ochai looked anything but that against the Longhorns as he was cracking under the understandable pressure of playing his final game at Allen Fieldhouse with the Big 12 championship on the line. David McCormick was simultaneously KU's most important and most frustrating player with a forgettable 6 of 13 night from the field, but a double-double, 10 huge rebounds, and 10 for 10 at the foul line. Jalen Wilson was KU's best player with 17 and 13, and KU hit 28 of 36 free throws down the stretch as Texas shot just 13 of 19. I'm guessing they're probably going to be talking about that in Austin for a little while. But the Jayhawks, no matter how you slice it up, Big 12 champions in 2022, their 20th trophy, 20 of the trophies were lined up on the court at Allen Fieldhouse. It was so crazy to see the pictures because you can't see it, you know, way back in in the stands, but you can see the old logo. You can see, oh, there's a Nebraska logo on them. There's a Missouri Tiger logo. There have been so many iterations of that trophy with different members, different logos. Jacks have won plenty of them, and Tommy, while it may not have been pretty, defensively, the Jayhawks pretty much cornered. They wrangled the Longhorns. Texas shot just 34% in the game, and it was the defense that wanted because the offense, not much to write home about, but either way you look at it, it's a Big 12 championship and a number one seed in the Big 12 tournament for the Crimson and Blue. Well, I think probably the most obvious statement that I can make that, you know, everybody knows and it's been said multiple different times is that this team lives and dies by Ochai and, you know, what he's able to do offensively. And and that that's really um, understandable. I mean, he's the Big 12 player of the year. He's the, the biggest dynamic offensive weapon that this team has had in several years. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think that that is to be expected that a team is going to live and die by its best player. That being said, I think the question then becomes, especially this week in the Big 12 tournament and, of course, next week as we get into NCAA tournament play, is what else does Kansas have to lean on when Ochai Abaji has an off night? Because it's not... If Ochai Abaji has an off night, it's when Ochai Abaji has a, an off night because he's he's not he's not perfect. He you know he's going to have off games. We've seen that a couple different times this season. Uh, I don't, that's no knock on him and his skill and his ability and his athleticism. It's just a reality that you know it's it's difficult to maintain that that kind of performance night in and night out. And when you get into a Big 12 tournament, for example, or an NCAA tournament, for example, you're playing multiple games in just a few days, you're bound to have an off night. So what are the other options that Kansas has? And to your point, Blake, against Texas, that other option was David McCormick. And we all know that Bill Self would prefer to have a guy like David McCormick who is effective down low that can run the offense through the post uh and and we've seen stretches of that throughout the season you know there were some games especially early on in conference play where it seemed like David McCormick was getting the ball nearly every possession uh and, and so you would think that he is the other offensive uh playmaker 
But like you said, he's also frustrating from night in, night out. You know, he's going to have opportunities depending on the the, the matchup, depending on the opponent, uh, depending on, I think, his mental uh, game that particular day. I think is going to to determine whether or not he will be an effective playmaker, regardless if Ochai Abaji gets his or not. Uh, so I think that's a question mark. It's it's far from guaranteed that David McCormick is going to be the guy offensively if Ochai Abaji isn't there and, and isn't performing at the top of his game. So I you know. Every team, especially now, has flaws that you can look at that could potentially prevent a deep run in March. Uh, but I think that's got to be one of them. Who is the playmaker consistently if Ochai Abaji has an off night? Uh, I think some people would say it could be Jalen. Uh, it could be Jalen Wilson. It could be Christian Brown. But I think the jury is out on exactly who that could be uh, in that event. I think that that's a good thing and a bad thing for Kansas because you'd like to have somebody that you can rely upon at the same time. Sure. Kansas has a lot of different guys that you kind of need to account for if you're game planning for KU. David McCormick, believe it or not, he leads the Big 12 in double-doubles. People may not realize that, but it, that's a fact. He leads them in double-doubles, and he can be dominant. In that game against Texas, honestly, I think I had a problem with about two of the shots that he took. I thought that... And why do you think, uh, just to just to interject, why do you think he's so frustrating then? I mean, if the production is there, if he leads the conference in double-doubles, why do you think, and we've, we've mentioned it on this show before too, but why do you think he gets so much... I don't want to say hatred because, you know, he's a Jayhawk and, and Jayhawk fans love Jayhawks, but they're just constantly frustrated by him. Why do you think that is? I think that there are fans who think that he does shoot too much. He had the most, the biggest volume of shots that KU had. Now, if Ochai Abaji is making more than none of his first 10 shots, I'm going to suggest that Ochai Abaji probably takes more shots in most games. But Ochai Abaji was obviously out of kilter. He missed that opening tip layup right after. At the, right off the jump, and he never had a three that was really lined up throughout the entire game. He had an off night. So if he's hitting consistently like he can do from the outside, David's going to get less shots. And look at the other guys on the offense. Dewan Harris was one for eight. Christian Brown was three for nine. He only got three three-pointers. Uh, I, th I think that people with David McCormick, at least – I, for the general public, and I'm extrapolating here because I'm not the general public, I like David McCormick. What frustrated me personally, let us say, let me answer that first, was the fact that he had good looks on the inside and did not finish at the clip that you would expect a player like him to finish at. I think that there were makeable post shots that he didn't make. I, I thought that he had 22, and Bill said this after the game, he probably should have had 30. And there were some of those shots that he missed that weren't really that difficult. Now, there were a couple that were contested, and he made a couple of really tough shots. And, you know, give him all the credit in the world. If he doesn't have a 10-for-10 day at the free throw line and draw, I mean, he drew six fouls on Texas in the game. So you have to run the offense through him, especially when Ochai Abaji is not, not shooting the ball well. And I also think that when the opposing team has a Timmy Allen 
on their roster and a guy that they're going to try to go through on the inside. And by the way, David McCormick did a pretty good job against their forwards. Christian Bishop went three for four, but Timmy Allen was two for 15 in this game. So when they have a center or forward on the inside, I think David McCormick's got to be a part of the game plan. But for me, I think that that's the main issue is the fact that he is not. And again, we've said this before, said this last year, he is coming on the heels of a guy in Yudoka Azubuki who shot a extremely unrealistic percentage from the outside. I mean, the guy was making like 70% of his shots. That's not that's not real. That's a fantasy. That's like Wilt Chamberlain. That like Wilt and Yudoka are the two guys who have ever done that at KU. That's not going to happen next year with the next big guy or the next big guy after that, but he's being judged on an impossible standard, and this year more than last year, you know, last year he led them in points per shot. He was their most efficient offensive option. This year, he hasn't been nearly as efficient from the field. Now, he has gotten to the foul line an awful lot, and I think that he can bring, if he's going to shoot 10 for 10, I mean, he's not going to make 100% of his free throws every game, but if he's going to shoot 75, 80% from the line and knock them down confidently and knock them down in overtime in big shots and big moments when the game is on the line, then, boy, you may have to live with shooting under 50% if he's going to hit that many free throws. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. And, you know, just I would say that when you're looking ahead uh, in the Big 12 tournament, uh, you're looking ahead to March Madness. One of my biggest question marks becomes not just who's the guy outside of Ochai Abaji, but what can the Kansas bench give you consistently? Um, so I far, part so of far it the answer do, is who knows? Right. And I think that, that part of it, looking going back to the Texas game, the starters looked absolutely gassed. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that they played four games in like eight days. Uh, they didn't have fresh legs in that home finale. Uh, I think that was probably part of the reason why Ochai didn't have a stellar offensive night. I think he was tired. Um, but I think also that was the fact why you saw such a low scoring offensive output for Kansas. They were just tired. That being said, I don't feel like Bill Self has a ton of trust in the guys outside of his starting five. Um, I mean, the, I the really minutes would certainly it. suggest that you're correct. Because you look at the minutes, Mitch played 10, Jalen Coleman-Lands yeah. played 8, the five starters played 35, 39, 36, 38, 37. Nobody else had more than 7 off the bench. So, or I and guess 9 for Mitch Lightfoot. A- this is not just a, a Bill Self anomaly. I mean, a lot of coaches do this, where especially when you get deep into the season and then into the postseason, your rotations get a lot tighter. Oh, Bill does right? this especially. You, He's right. He is you, hyper. Yeah. He does this all the time. He would rather lean on the guys that he trusts explicitly Absolutely. as opposed to the guys who are the most talented. And I think we're seeing that a lot more now. Now, I don't know if it necessarily does a a good, uh, a big service to the starting five when they're playing four games in eight days and there's really nobody coming off the bench to really relieve you. Then you have to go into the grind of a conference tournament and then into the national tournament. And, you know, 
I feel like this season more, almost more than any other, you're, you're seeing a lot of keyboard warriors coming out and criticizing Bill Self on different things and his choices of playing guys like uh, Mitch Lightfoot over Zach Clements or KJ Adams, uh, the Remy Martin situation. There were a lot of people talking about that. Which, by the way, he was and hurt. Now, we just didn't know it. He was hurt right. the whole year with and, a knee injury. So, you know. And n- now, now, as you get into the postseason, the only thing that I question is what happens when you're when you're trying to make a deep run in March and you get almost no production from your bench maybe because they're not getting the minutes or also maybe because they just haven't gotten the minutes all season and they're not ready for that for that exposure they're not ready for that extended timeout on the court can you lean on your starting five nearly exclusively and be able to make a deep postseason run it's not a criticism of bill it's just a question. And because I think that if Kansas is going to make a deep run, if they're going to be a final four team this year, they are going to have to 100% lean on their starting five because I just don't see number one, the production coming. And really, frankly, I don't see the minutes coming either from a lot of these guys off the bench. So that's my biggest question mark going into the postseason is what can Kansas do and what will Bill Self want to do with those rotations? The the, the offense in the second half just got so I was at the game. It, it got so stagnant, and it just felt like there was no flow. I didn't really think that Texas guarded particularly well at times. I thought- but that's what I mean. That's that's what Chris Beard does. I mean, if you watch the way that you know, and Texas is a good teams, team. I don't take anything away. They're a good team. He did it at Texas Tech, and he's doing it at Texas, where his game plan is to slow the game down so much and just make it super sloppy like it's just junk to watch and 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 he that's what he that's what he does and he's he's the one of the best coaches in the country at doing that that's what he did against Kansas yeah they they only KU I thought did actually a pretty decent job not turning it over with the exception of Christian Brown who he had the three threes but four turnovers I thought was way too many and he had a lot of bad turnovers KU is doing a lot of leaving the uh, leaving the airport without a flight plan jumping along the baseline and have no idea what we're doing with the basketball that happened a lot in that game Um, you know it would be, gosh, it would be great if DeWan Harris could hit some shots. He's the best assist to turnover guy in the conference by like a, a mile. Like he is a 3.0 on assist to turnover ratio. And the next one, I think it's Noel from Kansas State, and he's at like 2.0. So it's insane how much better DeWan Harris is at, than anybody else in the conference. My hope, Tommy, is that maybe if, because somebody's going to get in foul trouble in one of these games, Either David or Abaji, it always happens in the NCAA tournament. Can Remy Martin find the form that he had last year? Can he fight through this knee injury that's nagged him all year long that Bill just you know didn't tell people about? And so there was the wild speculation: oh, Remy hates Bill Self and all this you know junk online from those keyboard warriors as you mentioned who don't actually know anything. Can Remy Martin be as good as he once was, just once? as he ever was as the Pac-12 player of the year. I think that he can. I think he's got the correct mindset, the head on his shoulders. We don't know what how 100% he is. We don't know David McCormick. He's been dealing with a foot injury that Bill just told us about a couple of weeks ago. How much did that affect his shooting? We don't know. I think 
to answer your question, the relief off the bench is going to have to come from Remy Martin, the Pac-12 Player of the Year. Can he find that form when KU needs it in the one or two games that might be close? Because I don't know about you, I think KU could be a number one seed. I don't see KU just sweeping through to the Final Four like some of the some of their past teams have. To, I'm going to answer your question with another question. Okay. Will Remy Martin be given the opportunity to be that guy off the bench? I mean, no that, man, that I have a choice. comes down to Bill Self. And, but I, there are other options that Bill can go to. I mean, you look at like Joe Yasufu, and he has sort of come into his own uh, over the last couple of months, especially when Remy Martin was dealing with that injury. You know, he was running the point there for a while right. uh, when, when Dewan Harris was on the bench and Remy Martin was injured. So... I don't know. I, I would say that we have seen that over the last couple of weeks, Bill has gone to Remy Martin a little bit more. I think obviously his health plays into that some, uh, but he was the first guy off the bench. Uh, I believe in that game against Texas, he was the sixth man. Um, and, and so I think that bodes well for him going into the next couple of weeks. But I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this this team absolutely has to figure out who is going to be the playmakers when the playmakers aren't being playmakers. Uh, and, you know, Christian Brown has had a really good season. Um, you know, he's been the Robin to Ochai Abaji's Batman, but he's sort of been off shooting. He's turning the ball over a little bit too much. We've seen that over the last week or two. Uh, and then I also question that there's no doubting how well Dewan Harris handles the ball. There's no doubt that he great can passer. run the point effectively. He's a great passer. He doesn't turn the ball over very often at all. But I also have to wonder if, is it worth having him on the floor if he's an offensive liability? And I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying if, if, if KU needs a score and they need a score from the fastest player on the, on the floor, the point guard, is Dewan Harris the guy that you want on the court? If, if offense is what you're needing in a certain scenario down the stretch in the big dance. Aren't you going to Abaji in that situation, gonna, though? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, let's say that there's, you know, you need to get down the court quickly. Do you want the ball in the hands of Dewan Harris to shoot? Probably not. You're going to go to another option. But would it be better to have a guy like Remy Martin on the court who is both fast and can shoot? and can handle the ball down the court. Um, so th there are some some questions, I think, coming in. But I agree with you. I don't think this is a team that will just slide on by to the Final Four. No. Um, you know, they're, they're going to need to get all the way, in my opinion, to the Big 12 championship game, if not win the Big 12 championship game, to get a number one seed. I think number two is much more likely for them. Uh, and then depending on their draw... Um, you know, th there are really dangerous uh, every year. There are dangerous teams in the NCAA tournament. We all know that, but you know, this team is not upset proof. Uh, they're just not. And I think they're, they're improved. They're less upset proof than they were a year ago when Bill self said they needed to get more physical, more athletic, faster, stronger, all of that. They're they're improved from that, but they're still not completely bulletproof. And so I think that it comes down, in my opinion, to who's going to be able to, to step up in the event that Ochai or David McCormick is unable to, and what do the rotations look like off the bench? 
in terms of the number one seeding, and, and we're going to go through this with all of these teams that we go through today um, on the women's side, on the other men's games that we have, maybe not so much at stake in terms of seedings and bracketology. But um, according to Joe Lenardi, as of today, Baylor is his number two uh, overall pick. However, he says that Baylor actually does not have a number one seed locked up. He actually likes Gonzaga and Arizona as number ones. He thinks that they're locked as number ones and that the remaining two number one seeds are going to come from Baylor, Kansas, Auburn, and Kentucky. He said it's possible there's a chance that Big 12 would get Baylor and Kansas on the top line. I just can't. And and maybe that's – I can see Baylor and Kansas both getting it. If Kentucky ends up as a number one seed, I can't see Kansas being a number one seed. With the way that Kentucky absolutely throttled KU at home. They did. In Allen Fieldhouse. I can't it was see one game of a long resume, though. And yeah, head-to-head in still, college I, basketball, it doesn't mean nearly what it does when we talk about you the college are, football if, playoff. If you're talking about the last number one and the first number two, and it comes down between Kentucky and Kansas, I don't know how you can't take head-to-head into consideration. Maybe if it was a, a toss-up game, but the Jayhawks got absolutely throttled. In it that was a convincing and impressive victory. Yeah, so you know, I I don't know. I I just I I think that Kansas will need to do a lot of work this this weekend in Kansas City and potentially get some help if they want to make a number one seed. Yeah, according to Joe Lenardi, and of course it's just one man's opinion. He says that if Auburn and Kentucky, if they were to stumble early in the SEC tournament, that would pave the way, so to speak, so to speak, for Baylor and Kansas. Uh, and Big Twelve is by far the best basketball conference in terms of the metrics. Uh, and they're looking at getting six teams in this year. But the SEC is about number two or number three. It's right there at the top. So we will see how that uh, works out. KU is awaiting their next opponent. They will be playing at 2 o'clock p.m. in the Big 12 tournament quarterfinal action against either West Virginia or Kansas State. And I guess that brings us into our next topic, Tommy. Are we looking... Well, hey, before... Before we move on, I just have to ask you, um, since I don't, we we have not discussed exactly when our next episode is going to be. I just figured I'd ask you now. What are your predictions for KU? Not only this weekend in Kansas City, but oh, in sure. the NCAA tournament. Well, so I NCAA tournament. I I I feel like this is going to be an Elite Eight heartbreak kind of year. It's what I feel like. I think they're going to get to the Elite okay. Eight, and some team's going to get hot. And I think that KU will actually play pretty well, but I, I just feel like this team does doesn't quite have that energy that they don't have the ability to really sit down and guard like some of these other teams that KU has had. They've been much better. They have been playing much, much better, but... I think that they can get exposed defensively at times. I think that there are times that the post really overhelps, really overhelps. And and it happened a couple of times against Texas too, where the post will go to double and they are way, 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 way too late getting back. And I think that that may hurt them. And that against a team that has several Three-point shooters on the outside. That puts KU just one spot behind in that defensive rotation as you try to reform your defensive shell drill. 
I, I just feel like it's going to be an Elite Eight kind of year. I think that KU will get to the Big 12 championship. Whether or not they win, I actually don't know. I You could get, tell me that Baylor's going to win, and I believe you. You could tell me KU's going to win, and I would believe you. I, I'd believe that Texas, if you told me Texas Tech's going to win, I would believe that too. Because I, I think that they're those three teams, even Texas. Texas, if they play like they did against KU and Lawrence, that they could win that game. Uh, KU, it is now final. They will be playing the number nine seed, the West Virginia Mountaineers. West Virginia advances with a 73-67 win over Kansas State. It just went final as we were cutting uh, this first segment of our show today. So we're going to go ahead and skip ahead. This is our Kansas State men's basketball season in review. Didn't know if it was going to be that today. And Tommy, my, how things have changed for those Cats over the last few weeks. It seemed like just a moment ago. The Wildcats were 14-11. and 11. They had won four of five, two straight, an impressive win at, at Iowa State. They just beat these Mountaineers. An at-large bid for Kansas State didn't look like a fringe probability, not just a real probability, perhaps a strong inevitability, the way that they were playing at that time. But then an overtime loss at Oklahoma State, that 19-point beatdown at Lawrence, as we mentioned on this show two weeks ago. And we thought that these last two weeks could be huge for Kansas State because at that time, they were right in the heart of the bubble conversation to make it into March Madness. Well, the Cats have played themselves from right in the midst of the bubble to completely off of it. There's no doubt now that Kansas State needed to win the Big 12 tournament to even have a chance to make it to March Madness after losing five straight in the season, three in a row since we last spoke, all have been of the heart-piercing variety by one to Iowa State at Bramlage, a five-point loss at Texas Tech, a seven-point defeat to Oklahoma the last time out, and now today the season is over unless the NIT comes calling a 73-67 loss to West Virginia. Tommy, uh, this is something that we feared for Kansas State if they did not play well that there would be perhaps big changes coming to Manhattan now that the season is in the rearview mirror and it's a losing record for Mr. Weber. We thought that the seat was hot coming into the year or at least scalding. It's got to be very uncomfortable now. I'm not sure I'm going to make a prediction because the last <laughs> two years the on track this record's program real about bad. this time... I predicted that Bruce Weber is going to lose his job and each year it either doesn't happen or he gets an extension. So, um, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm really, I'm really ready to make a prediction. What do you think should happen? I, I, I mean, I think it's pretty apparent. I don't think Bruce Weber (laughs) should return as the head men's basketball coach at Kansas state. Um, you know, look, I don't know what's worse. They're both pretty bad, but a season like last year when Kansas state was at the, in the cellar of the big 12 all year long, they lost to Fort Hayes state in (laughs) non-conference. They completely never even sniffed the conversation of a postseason tournament. They played well down the stretch. But they, they didn't even get into the, they weren't even anywhere near the conversation of the the postseason last year. So I don't know what's worse, that last year or this year where they were in the hunt and there was actually a little bit of optimism that maybe this program had turned a little bit of a corner with a budding superstar in Nigel Pack with some young pieces that have come in and really looked like they were starting to gel. And maybe Bruce Weber actually had his rebuilt squad and the, the patience was going to pay off. 
and then the bottom absolutely falls out and they take themselves from in the conversation to completely irrelevant in a matter of a month. I don't know what's worse. The, the, the overall terribleness of last year or the major letdown of this year, I would have to say that this year's, uh, has got to be more disappointing for Wildcat fans. At least last year, you knew what you were going to get. You knew that the team stunk. You knew that it was a rebuilding process. You probably wanted to believe Gene Taylor and Bruce Weber in saying that we are rebuilding the program. It's going to take a little bit of time. We're getting the pieces in place. Trust us. Hang with us. Gene Taylor basically affirmed that by giving Bruce Weber an extension. So I would have to say that this year has got to be an even bigger slap in the face to Wildcat fans because you they got you to maybe start to believe a little bit and then they absolutely stabbed you in the back. It's interesting. It's an interesting conversation for me just because what does it say about you if you give the guy an extension and then you fire him the next year. What was the extension for? It means you should have never it brought him back you in the first you, place. It, yeah, it shows you that you made a poor decision as an athletic director. It's Kansas State, there, there were a lot of things to be excited about. They had the number three offense in the conference this year in Big 12 games. They averaged 69 points per game. As you mentioned, I mean, the fact that they have Nigel Pack is not something to overlook. He is an impressive, exciting first-team All-Big 12 player, and deservedly so, averaging 17 points per game. Mark Smith came in, made an impact. He was a great pickup for them. Averaged 12-9 and nine for them. He was really, really good. Yeah. Marquise Noel, the number two guy in the conference in assist-to-turnover ratio, but for whatever reason, in these... Games that were close, that were winnable, they just didn't have the intangibles to win these really tight games. Single, so is many single-digit losses. Weber? Possibly, is that, is that on Bruce Weber? Yeah, I mean, maybe. You know, you look at some of these games, Tommy. One point loss to Marquette, two point loss at Oklahoma, um, you know, three point loss at West Virginia. There are so many of these games. Oh, do we even want to bring up the Sunflower Showdown in Bramlage? Do we want to talk about that, Wildcat fans? There are so many of these games that if you flip them the other way, the season's totally different, completely different. And there will be, if there are Bruce Weber supporters, that's what they'll cling to. Say, look how close we were to having such a dramatically different season. But at this point, Tommy, I just get the feeling, and you know, this is the part of the show where I'd love to be on the radio and take calls from Kansas State fans because I want to hear from them. I feel like you're at the point in the program where you just don't have the momentum and the support from your fan base that you really need to get people jacked up to support, to spend money, to buy season tickets. If they have him come back, next year is anybody really going to be tremendously excited about wildcat basketball i don't no. think the answer is yes and that's you not know what good. I, you 
No, and you see the pictures, and I've seen them on social media all year long of Bramlage outside of the Sunflower Showdown. Nobody came to the games. Nobody showed up. Bramlage was empty. Wildcat fans, the the majority of them, they've wanted Bruce Weber gone for years. Now, I think some of that is a little bit unfair. Um, you know, I think that Bruce Weber had the pedigree to be the Kansas State coach. He had success. He took that team to an Elite Eight. Let's not forget. He took he 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 led him to a Big, Big Twelve championship. championship. Yeah, let let's not forget he had success with that program. He clearly has been a quality coach uh, over the years, not just at Kansas State, but at Illinois and his his previous stops. I think that he he gets a bad rap because he's a he's kind of a goofy guy. He he sounds kind of goofy. He looks kind of goofy on the sidelines. He's awkward. He's unintentionally, I think, stirred up controversy from year to year. Uh, he's just a, an awkward, goofy guy. I think he'd be a fun guy to hang out with. He might be a fun uncle. But I think for a lot of Kansas State fans, they look at the the poise in which Bill Self carries himself a lot of the time and how charming he is. Whether or not they want to admit it, I think they look at it and they think, yeah, and we've we've got goofy Bruce Weber over here. Uh, and, and so I think that that gives a bad rap. He's had a bad rap for a while. That being said, though, I do absolutely agree with you that the momentum just is not there anymore. And it's it's it, I think it's going to be time. It, it's just it's just time. It's time for the program to, to split with Bruce Weber. And I think that's the best thing for the program. And honestly, I think that's the best thing for Bruce Weber. I don't know if you've noticed Blake, but his hair has gotten more white over the last year. <laughs> he's or two getting up there. He, had the, I, he is, he is getting old and, and maybe he won't coach again. Maybe he'll just retire. Maybe that's what it is. It might not be a, the university, you know, Kansas state university How do you think he has is? decided to separate. He's got to be in his, is 60s yeah, mid 60s 65 yeah you're right on 65 65 you know it could very well be you know gene taylor and bruce weber have mutually decided that bruce weber will retire you know effective at the end of the season that could very well be it he looks tired he looks worn out and and i think that's that's going to be the best thing for him he's taken a lot of abuse and the best thing for the program it's going to be a, a bet, you know, best for a split between both of them. It's going to be best for Bruce Weber and it's going to be best for the program. And I think it goes back to one of the questions though, that we've talked about on this show before. And a lot of other people have talked about is who are you going to get? That's better than Bruce Weber, you know, for, for next season. And I think that's one of the reasons maybe why Gene Taylor extended him was the thought of who are we going to get? That is going to be better. And also, I think this is a very important point. With the transfer portal the way it is, who are you going to get that's going to be able to keep Nigel Pack? And or does it matter? I mean, if if you let Bruce Weber go, is Nigel Pack just going to leave the program? Then you're starting from scratch anyway. So there are some really important questions that need to be answered, uh, especially now that, you know, unless the Wildcats go to the NIT, their season is pretty much done. Yeah, it's weird for me because when I and I when I grew up, you know, Kansas State was just so bad in basketball. It was just, you know, there there was no point. It was a decade and a half of just complete irrelevance. But you look at what they have done um, historically. I mean, going back to Tex Winter, I mean, Tex Winter, Cotton Fitzsimmons, Jack Hartman, Lon Kruger, 
all were really, really successful. And Dan Altman wasn't a bad coach. I mean, heck, he was a big eight coach of the year. And then Tom Asbury and Jim Wildridge come along and just absolutely yanked the rug out from underneath this program. But then Bob Huggins comes back in and his one year is an injection of life into this program. Frank Martin wins 68% of his games before moving on. And Bruce Weber at 59%. Is that good enough for Kansas State? I feel like I agree with you that it's probably just time for both parties to move their separate directions. But I don't know if it's going to get better, and I don't know who they're going to get. Because right now, in the Big 12, you know, a couple of years ago, you come into Kansas State, you're thinking, okay, we can get to the top half of this conference. Now Texas Tech is good. Now Baylor is a national championship program. You're always going to have to deal with Kansas. Texas is good. You've got Bob Huggins at West Virginia. This ain't an easy conference. And Kansas State right now, based on the facilities, the fan support, and where they're located, this is not an easy job. This is not an easy job. This is exactly the same reasons why KU is not going to be an easy job to turn around on the football field because it has the same disadvantages that Kansas State basketball has because there are a lot of good and up-and-coming football programs in the Big 12 right now and the only advantage that Lawrence has to Manhattan is that we're closer to that Lawrence is closer to Kansas City that's it that's the only advantage so if you're a coach coming in I think you can get a guy who is hungry who wants a chance to cut his teeth we haven't even mentioned Oklahoma State by the way and I really like their coach. They weren't eligible for the postseason this year. That's why only nine went to Kansas City. So for Kansas State, it's in the books. A losing season for Bruce Weber. That is now three straight losing seasons for the Wildcats, coming off the heels of three straight 20-win seasons and three straight trips to the NCAA tournament, ending, of course, with the 2019 tie for the Big 12 championship. Will this be it for Bruce Weber? Don't know the answer to that. We'll find out. What we do know is that Wichita State is in the American Athletic Conference Tournament as the number seven seed. They draw Tulsa in the first round. The Shockers are 15-12, and 6-9 in the American this past season. A 2 p.m. tip-off with the Golden Hurricane on ESPNU. That will be today. So it'll be KU and, uh, and Wichita State playing at the same time as you are watching this on Thursday. A magical time of year. The Shockers' road to the finish line was a little bit like their regular season, Tommy. A little bit bumpy. Shockers dropped three straight since we last talked to the viewers. Spoke to you about the incredible... Double overtime loss to number 14 Houston. Shocks backed that up with a rather forgettable trip to Memphis, an 81-57 loss to the Tigers back on Sunday, February 27th. Shockers did pick up the pieces last week, a 10-point win over Tulsa, and an 8-point senior day win against East Carolina on Saturday the 5th. Plenty of accolades came to this program with Tyson Etienne, all-conference third team. Dexter Dennis was the defensive player of the year. And the Shockers also won the sixth man of the year, Ricky Council the fourth. But I've been a little surprised at how much, you know, we talked about the pitchforks for Bruce Weber. I've been real surprised at how much negativity there is about this men's basketball program. Certainly in terms of potential and expectations, I think that they fell further than what Kansas State did because we all expected that this would be a very, very good team that would make the NCAA tournament in a year in where, in the latest bracketology, Joe Lenardi says there will be three American teams in the NCAA tournament. 
and Memphis is not even in the first four out or the next four out. They're not even close to being you know on that bubble. It's pretty surprising to me that the Shockers are not one of those teams. But as we mentioned, Tommy, this is a very, very dangerous number seven seed, and this is a team that has proven that they can play with anybody in the American. And if they get all the pieces lined up, this could be a team to watch here over this weekend. Yeah, you know, it really wasn't the the season that Shocker fans wanted. It's not over yet. Um, you know, th- th- this team has enough talent where they could make a run. Uh, it's going to take a lot, and they're going to have to play their best basketball. And Isaac Brown is going to have to coach his butt off. Uh, but they can they can make it happen. But even if it doesn't for Wichita State, and, and I know that we'll we'll have another show where we'll do our Shocker year in review. But I, I think, in my opinion. While you, while you can be disappointed with the results of this season, you probably I think there's a be. lot. You should be. I think there's a lot to be optimistic about with this program moving forward. I really do. I really believe that this team has a solid foundation with a solid leader and players that care and are bought into the program. I don't think they gave up. I don't think they've. I don't think they have uh, seen the way that this season has gone and just stopped fighting that hasn't been the case at all i agree they're talented they're athletic they've got some playmakers they just haven't been able to string it all together to make it all work and so you know i again i think that there are i think there's a lot of optimism that exists with this program uh this was the first year that not only isaac brown got to be a head coach a permanent head coach for an entire season with Wichita State, it's the first time in his career that he got to be a permanent official head coach for an entire season. There's going to be some growing pains. Um, I think it would be great for Isaac Brown and for this program if he was able to string together a couple of wins in the American tournament uh, to even, if nothing else, play spoiler. I think that'd be fun. Absolutely. The Here's the interesting conversation that I think is going on a lot right now on Sports Talk Radio People are seem to be bracing here in Wichita. Oh, there's you know all these players. None of them are coming back. Etienne's going to go pro, which could which could happen. You know these guys are going to use the transfer portal. They're not coming back. You know Craig Porter's not happy. Ricky Council's not happy. All these guys they can they they're showing off their stuff. They're going to get better offers. They're going to leave. Everybody's just so convinced. They've been playing. I heard on one show they were playing over under on how many players were going to leave. I think they had it set at like six or seven and a half was the number of people that are going to leave the program. And I'm like, man, isn't this just a, just slightly premature? Like you're not allowed to have one, like maybe off season and your off season is still a winning record. It, it, they, they, they dramatically missed expectations this year. There's no question about that. They were picked fourth, which we both at the time thought that was kind of a joke. Um, maybe the coaches are smarter than we think, or maybe we're not as smart as we think that we are. But, you know, you look at this team, they still have Titan Etienne who could come back. I don't know whether he will or not. Certainly his stock collapsed dramatically this year compared to last season when he was the American Player of the Year. But you've got the Ameri- an American Player of the Year coming back potentially. You have got the defensive player of the year coming back, potentially. The sixth man of the year coming back, potentially. 
so you know why is there this assumption that oh well Isaac Brown just can't lead these guys and he's not going to be able to get any of these guys to come back I that that to me at this point when you look at what he has done I mean all he did was you know have a amazing first season and was the conference's best coach by unanimous accord and acclaim. Nobody in their right mind thought that Isaac Brown wasn't the coach of the year in the American last year, but they're, oh, well, he just did it with Greg Marshall's prospects. It, you know, it was the coronavirus season. It doesn't count. It wasn't a real season. I, there's just so much naysaying. It's been very surprising to me, and I don't know if I can understand or wrap my head around why that is because i mean i the only the only reason is because he's not greg marshall and he's not the you know the best coach wichita state has ever had by miles and kilometers and you know by just an insurmountable distance not the best coach in the history of wichita state which like we said when he got the job pretty unfair standard to hold him to to think that he's going to come in to Wichita State in the American as it was currently comprised now when conference realignment changes you know shocker expectations I think should go up because I don't think the league is going to be as good it just isn't but as it was currently comprised you weren't going to go into the American and just say well we're going to hang 30 wins every year and just you know make room for the American Athletic Conference championship banners we're just going to win it every year that was never going to happen and now that it hasn't happened, I, I'm just I'm I'm slightly surprised at how hard Shocker fans are taking it. I get that they're disappointed. I totally understand that they're disappointed. Offensively this year, there there needs to be a rework of the system because they have not scored to the level this year that they that they need to with the talent that they have, in my opinion. And at times this year, they were in lulls defensively. They were not the elite defensive team that we have seen in the past. They seem to have gotten back to that this last week especially, but at times they guard well against Houston, but the game before they let Cincinnati get 85. And the game after, Memphis pretty much gets whatever they want. So they have not been that consistent lockdown defensive team that Greg Marshall had, that I think Isaac Brown had for last year's team. Still, even with all of that, I'm I'm surprised at at the narrative that's been going on in Wichita sports. Maybe we're the only two that think Isaac Brown's a good coach. I don't know. Maybe he is a bad coach. I don't know. But I just I mean, feel like we're know, on look, our it's, own it's, island shelling. No, he's actually not that bad. And you know, we're just getting pelted by tomatoes. I you know, it's it's weird. Yeah, it's um 100% unrealistic expectations for a guy who has never been a head coach before in his first division one head coaching position in his first permanent year with players that are his, but weren't, aren't his, like he wasn't the head coach when they committed to Wichita state. Um, now one thing that Isaac Brown has been known for is being an excellent recruiter. That's, that's why he's been on staffs in the past. That's why he was on the Wichita state staff. Agreed. So, I am I am 100% open and willing to withhold any sort of negative judgment about Isaac Brown until we see some of his own recruiting classes come in. That's what he's good at. That's what he's done his entire career. 
Let him do it. Let him cook with that. And then see if the results start to come on the court. Let him work the transfer portal uh, to his advantage. Obviously, that, you know, that can go either way. Let him do it. Let him let him you know get recruiting under under his belt a little bit with this program. Um, I think at the end of the day, my my only critique of his is that I think that he had a hard time adjusting in game sometimes, especially when the Shockers would get on those offensive uh, lulls where they would go minutes at a time without scoring anything, and it, it almost looked like he Long didn't exactly stretches. know how to adjust the team to get out of that. But again, he's never been a head coach on the sideline before. And Wichita State knew what they were getting when they hired him. Someone that was a little bit green when it came to coaching actually on the as sideline. As a head coach. But someone that all, as a head coach, but someone that all the players respected, had, was a solid guy. And been, been that in the business a long behind. time. Tons of respect. That was what, let's not forget where the program was when they let Greg Marshall go. That's what they needed. They needed a solid individual. And they still need that solid individual. The best thing that he did, and I've said this on this show before, was hire Billy Kennedy to come in and be an assistant coach. A proven experienced head coach in Division One to be in the chair next to him to help mentor him along this first season. Um, and, and so I think that I think that there is still a lot of optimism with this program, although I think we can, we both can admit that, yes, the way that the season went down was a disappointment. Um, 100%. The lack, of com- the lack of competitiveness in some of these conference games, disappointing for sure. It's okay to say that, but I'm with you. I think that the, the, the vitriol towards Isaac Brown is completely unwarranted and absolutely immature. We might be the only guys in the city who are talking about it this way. And I'm okay with that because I feel like I'm okay he with that. still needs some time to build that program the way that he wants to. And when we say not competitive, we're not meaning that they like, you know, not putting words in your mouth. I don't think we're not saying that it, they, they weren't competitive because they didn't try. They didn't play hard for coach no. Brown. They just, you know, in the Memphis game, they weren't competitive because they didn't play well. Going <laughs> they back got boat race. They, they did. Let's go back to the situation that we just got done talking about. Bruce Weber has been at Kansas State for what, like nine seasons, ten seasons. He's been there a while. Yeah, at this point, you years, know what yeah. you know what you've got. Isaac Brown has been at Wichita State for a long time as well. He's been a part of a lot of really, really impressive, really, really good Shocker men's basketball teams. One as a head coach, several as an assistant coach. If you are a Shocker fan, like what's if you don't like Isaac Brown, let's say that that opinion is totally reasonable for the purposes of this argument. What's your remedy? So are you going to send the message to the next head coach that if you win coach of the year, if you miss the tournament, the NCAA tournament the next year, we're going to fire you? I don't understand what you are aiming to accomplish by that because you're not going to get to the NCAA tournament every single year. No shocker coach has outside of Greg Marshall. Greg Marshall did get to the tournament every year. I think that the shockers can be that program and can do it under Isaac Brown. But are you going to, in the in the second year of the program, going to tell that coach, well, you were the coach of the year 
And now all of a sudden, well, you don't know what you're doing. You got lucky. You coached the team through a really difficult time. But you know what? You really don't get any credit for doing that. It was, you know, it was really just because everybody else had it so hard was the only reason that you had success. I just don't get what message you send to the next head coach or to the community when you it, like, are you, you going to fire Isaac Brown? Are you going to buy him out? Are you going to demote no. him to assistant? No. No. What are you going to do? And look, I, Darren Boatwright, um, I believe, I don't know him personally, but Darren Boatwright seems to be a very pragmatic and practical individual. Uh, and I, I don't think that and, – and you can't be an athletic director – at a D1 program and and make uh, knee-jerk responses, emotional decisions no. on things like that. You can't listen to a, a crowd uh, that is going to yell things. Uh, I think eventually, like in the case of Jane Taylor and Bruce Weber, it's been going on for a long time, and he signed him to an extension in the at the worst possible time to sign a coach to an extension. So at that point, he went okay, all in on that, right? Maybe maybe start to listen to your constituents a little bit. Um, but at this point, we're nowhere near that conversation with not Wichita with State. me. And in we're fact, not. it's not not with me either. And I feel like it's it's actually an insult. I feel like to the program, to Isaac Brown, and to Darren Boatwright to even continue this conversation. I just think it's an insult. Like we're nowhere near having that conversation. And if you're a shocker fan that thinks that we are near that conversation, you're an absolute moron. And I'm going to tell you that straight up right now. If you think Isaac Brown needs to lose his job this year, you, there's no point in even talking to you. No point whatsoever. Um, because you're just flat out wrong. I, 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 yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't understand what you would have them do. Like, I, I, I just, what if they go and win the conference tournament championship? I think they could win the conference tournament, by the way. I think they absolutely could. Will they? Probably not. I'm not going to bet money on it. I'm not going down to Kansas Star and placing a wager. Probably not even legal to do that in Kansas. I retract my statement. But I'm not going to go anywhere to make a bet on this team. They've been inconsistent. There's a reason that they underperformed. I'm not saying that your disappointment is invalid. It is. They should have been. They could have been. And the fact that they had a third teamer, best defensive player, and the best sixth man, you know, and didn't do any better than they did, they finished seventh, probably is an indictment of this team. But to say that this is enough, that this is the standard that you're going to hold the coach to, and if you go 15 and 12, 6 and 9, and have three all conference honorees and were the coach of the year last year, that you get fired. I just don't think you're going to have a coach for very long at Wichita State. I just State. don't even know why. Like, is this is this even a thing? Like, are people legitimately talking about this? I mean, I've heard like, it. On, is I, it a conversation? I hear callers. I listen to sports on, talk radio. Like, legitimately calling for his job. Like saying, hey, uh, let's let's buy. Yeah, like, on. hey, let's find buyout money. I've seen Rid- it on Twitter. I've Rid- seen it on Twitter. Ridiculous. I, I stupid. An insult. Not even worth our conversation. They number ten Tulsa is the Shockers' opponent. Two o'clock at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth, Texas. That game is on the U. The semifinals in the championship Saturday, Sunday will be on ESPN two and ESPN. 
Shockers 2-0 against Tulsa this season, beat them twice, both by about 10 points. I don't know if the Shockers were really extremely impressive in either game. I also never really got the thought that Tulsa was really ever a threat to win either one of those games. Uh, it's a game the Shockers ought to win. They should win. Tulsa's not better. They just flat out are not better than Wichita State, period, end of story. It's hard to beat a team three times in a year, but this is a game that the Shockers should get and move on to the quarterfinals on Friday at 6 p.m. Wrapping things up here, there's a lot to talk about in terms of women's basketball. We mentioned months ago, we thought this was a make-or-break year for Kansas basketball on the women's side. Much like Bruce Weber, Brandon Schneider had to feel his seat was a little bit hot. He delivered in a very big way. Jayhawks finished 20-8, and 11-7 and record in Big 12 play. It's the first time since 1999-2000 that KU has finished a regular season with 20 wins. First 20-win season at all in nearly a decade. Schneider, for his effort, the Big 12 Coach of the Year, and just got signed to a four-year deal to remain the head coach of the Jayhawks through the 2025-26 season. Holly Kerskeiter, a junior out of Sand Springs, Oklahoma, all Big 12 first team, 14 points per game, led the Jayhawks with 51 steals, five rebounds a game. Jayhawks also had Tiana John, uh, Jackson on the all-defensive teams, Zakiah Franklin, an all-conference honorable mention. They get started against number 21 Oklahoma ESPNU this morning as you are watching or listening to the podcast in the quarterfinals of the Big 12 tournament. Uh, this was a, a very similar situation, I think, to Bruce Weber, except maybe except for the fact that Schneider had not been there nearly as long. There was not nearly the conversation about his job as there would be if he were the men's basketball coach. But I think if you take Bruce Weber and put it into a women's program, there were a lot of similarities. Brandon Schneider and the Jayhawks delivered in a huge way, and I think that it's a no-brainer for for the athletic director, Mr. Goff, to, to get him inked to an extension here. I don't know whether he'll be able to sustain it. Can he build the Jayhawks into a power in the Big 12? Big 12 is not exactly an easy women's basketball conference, but uh, the Jayhawks do seem to be poised to be relevant for some span of time now in the Big 12. Yeah, well-deserved. Um, I've had the opportunity to hear Coach Brandon speak uh, on various occasions, and uh, he's just an impressive guy, and he's got a lot of passion. Um, you know, obviously doesn't get nearly the amount of press that the men's program does. That's got to be hard for any coach. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, you, 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 love, you love your university, and you love being the head coach at a— you know, historic university like uh, like Kansas, but you're constantly in that shadow uh, of of the men's program, and and that's got to be difficult. But um, Brandon Schneider, you know, has come in, revitalized that program when it needed it the most, and uh, I think it's you know obviously he was the uh, no brainer choice for Big Twelve Coach of the Year. Yeah, um, happy for him for that, and even more happy for the fact that he's going to be at Kansas for a long time. Well, not only that, Tommy, but Think about this. I mean, KU, looking at the women's bracketology, uh, they're listed as a number nine seed right now. They would be in the Louisville pod of the Wichita region. They're not in the last four buys or the last four in at the moment. So they appear to be solidly in the NCAA tournament. So the, the ride is not necessarily over. It certainly looks like KU is going to break the drought. I think 1997 might be the last time they were dancing. Did Bonnie Henriksen ever get the Jayhawks to the NCAA tournament? It certainly looks like for all the world the Jayhawks are going to be dancing this year and and you know what an incredible story that would be 
Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, there are so many, you think of the the top women's programs in the country that have been, you know, year in and year out at the very top, your UConn and your Baylor and, uh, you know, Tennessee Stanford, and different programs NC like State. that. Stan- right, exactly. Um, Kansas doesn't come up in the conversation, oh, no, yeah. but... At, at the end of the day, though, the fact that they are able to get, you know, looks like they're going to get be able to get back into the NCAA tournament. And, and not that Bonnie Hendrickson did a terrible job at Kansas. She didn't. She, had, she never she never got the program above just OK. It was either OK or mediocre. That was kind of just the where, you know, she and she was there for a long time. And KU uh, under and her. So, never excelled in the Big 12. They would always have a 13-2 right. and two start, get into the Big 12, and go 4-16 and 16 or 4-14. and 14. They, they never had a good Big 12 season under her. So, yeah, it, I, to, to come in and have a good start and then be able to parlay that, you know, from 9-1 and one and then go 11-7 and seven in a really tough league and get some big top 25 wins, really, really impressive. And... To, uh, to answer your question, Bonnie Hendrickson did take Kansas to, it looks like, two NCAA tournaments, and they made it to the Sweet 16 both years. That's right. Oh, and, and there was one year where they were the NIT runner-up, and the yeah, I remember correct. the field house was actually packed. They got 16,300 in there for yeah. that game. So they, they, she did have some success. So there is something, you know, maybe just just some the bare bones to, to build upon. And uh, KU is not the only team that is building something on the women's side. Kansas State also appears to be extremely safely in the tournament. Wildcats in the number eight seed projected to be headed for the Stanford pot of the Spokane region. Uh, Wildcats finished 19 and 11, nine and nine in the big 12, a sparkling 14 and three record at Bramlage. Not sure why they, despite KU having a better record, why they are getting a better seed. I'm sure it has something to do with strength of schedule, but Kansas State with Ioka Lee, clearly an all-Big 12 first-team selection, unanimously so. Serena Sundell was an honorable mention. Lee was also all-defense team in the Big 12. Sundell was an unanimous all-freshman team selection, was joined on that team by a teammate, Briley Green. Kansas State had lost three in a row. They beat Texas, uh, Texas Christian in the season finale. Uh, they had lost to number 11 Texas, number 20 OU on the road, and a double overtime loss to West Virginia on senior night. Lee has been incredible this year, Tommy. 23 points per game, 10 rebounds, 92 blocks in 30 games. I mean, what else can we say about her that we all haven't already said? And Serena Sundell averaged 11 points second on the team. Briley Glenn was third, eight points per game. So it seems like Coach Mitty, he's got the Wildcats poised to be competitive in the Big 12 for a number of years as well. Yeah, he's got some weapons. That was an impressive uh, effort from uh, Ioka Lee. And, um, you know, not just that, you know, I don't remember exactly who they were playing when she put up like, how many points she had? It like was sixty-one against Oklahoma. I want to say Oklahoma. That's who they were playing. Uh, that was by far the most impressive individual game performance that I've seen on the women's side in a long time. Um, but it wasn't just that; it was what she was able to do all season. Um, you know, so I, I do agree with you. Like that, there are definitely bright spots with this program uh, moving forward. And so I think that we're going to have a couple of really competitive programs here in the state on the women's side for years to come. 
Yeah, that is really, really exciting. They are going to get the Wildcats. They have got the number seven Texas Longhorns coming up. They don't get started until Friday. That's going to be a 7.30 p.m. game. That'll be at Municipal Auditorium in Kansas City, Missouri, the uh, site of the MIAA tournament last weekend. That game will be on Big 12 now on ESPN+. Finally, we go to the Shocker women. The season is over. Shockers led 26-14 after the first. They led 32-21 with 5.45 to go in the second, but Tulsa stormed to the halftime lead, a 19-6 run to end the frame. Eventually, WSU succumbed in overtime, 88-86, to end the Shocker season at 14-16. They finished 5-11 in the regular season in the American Athletic Conference. Mariah McCauley had a good season, 13 points, Four rebounds a game. Asia Strong, 11-6 and six in her senior campaign. Jaina Sinde, nine points, eight rebounds per game. And, and this was another situation, Tommy, where we had Keitha Adams, five seasons in the book. She is now 62-78 and 78 through five seasons. The magnifying glass, especially with how the men's season has gone, is certainly not going to be shining nearly as brightly. It's not going to be focused nearly as much on women's basketball, but... Where is this program now under Keitha Adams with yet another just kind of okay middling season now in the books for the Shocker women? I don't know. Uh, I, I honestly don't know. Um, you know, I think we we said it at the beginning of the season that for both Keitha Adams and Brandon Schneider, they needed to show progress uh, if they didn't want to be on the hot seat. And there just really wasn't a lot of that for the Shocker women's program this year. Um Five seasons is enough, I think, to get a pretty good idea of sure. where your program is and where it's going to be. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that you can advocate for more time after five. I think you can, but it becomes a little bit harder uh, to, to, to make those asks you know, to your administration. Um, but again, Darren Boatwright is pragmatic. Um, will he have the quick hook? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 I, I, I simply put, I just don't know. We will find out. It, it will be a couple of months. We'll see how the offseason turns out for Shocker women's basketball as women's basketball continues to march on for two of the three teams here in the Sunflower State. We're about to march on to our last little piece of business here, our Wichita Whip Around. Some stories from around the Wichita area that you probably missed here this week. So it is time to hit the music. We'll go to my delightful co-host, Tommy Caster, and see what happens first here. The music is not actually working, Tommy. You're going to have to do this without the music because it is not working. So while I... There it is. Oh, I hear it now. It's coming. Finally, it's here. Uh, I got it. Not sure, yeah, what the delay was on that, but what is your Wichita Whip Around story today? So a couple quick notes uh, on the high school basketball scene. Congratulations to Luke Barnwell from Sunrise Christian Academy. He was named the Naismith Boys Coach of the Year. It's the second year in a row that Luke Barnwell has won that award. Of course, Sunrise is a national powerhouse in high school basketball. The team had a 24-1 record, led by Grady Dick, who is a uh, KU commit. 
uh, will be joining the Jayhawks next season. Sunrise reached number one uh, in the power rankings across the country, and Barnwell is one of only three coaches to win the award multiple times. So congratulations to Luke Barnwell. And then the only other note uh, in high school basketball that I want to make is that we've talked quite a bit uh, on this show about what uh, Steve Eck has done at Cape and Mount Carmel. I believe I saw that Capen lost on uh, Wednesday in state or in substate. Uh, state uh, tournament. So they are out in state tournament. They are out. And so uh, the first year under Steve Eck uh, has come to a close. Yeah. And I'm actually going to take you through all of the action through most of the first round okay. of the uh, state tournament getting underway today around the state. Boys and girls being contested at the same time in 5A. As Tommy mentioned, it's a 54-43 defeat to the Seaman Vikings out of Topeka. Cape and Mount Carmel ends their season at 21-2, and an incredible year for the City League champion Crusaders, but uh, it does not get paid off in the end as they have a bad offensive game against Seaman, and the Vikings will move on out of my capital city hometown. Mays High School, they are still alive. They knocked off Highland Park. It was a 53-47 win, and boy, it was not a good day for uh, the schools up in my neck of the woods. My alma mater, Topeka West, they lose to St. James. The Chargers go to 21-2 on the year. They lost to St. James Academy, and that's just for me. I know that you guys don't care being here from the Wichita area. In the 6A bracket so far, Derby on the girls' side. These are girls' finals. Derby is 22-1. and The Panthers advance. They blow away Shawnee Mission West 41-17. to They've got Blue Valley in the semifinals. That'll be a Friday tip-off at 2 o'clock. Those games being contested, as always, at Coke Arena here in the Air Capital. Also, other things to keep in mind here. Uh, this will be a very interesting game as there's been some conversation about this, about the multiplier. You've got Bishop Miege, the number four seed in Class 4A girls. They annihilated Andale today, 74-35. Led something like 35-6 to after one quarter in this game. They will be taking on a program that I know you are familiar with. I am as well. The Wellington Lady Crusaders. Wellington has a perfect season going. They're 23-0. They dispatched McPherson in the first round in a dogfight, 33-29. That's a 2 p.m. tip-off on Friday. That is at the Tony's Pizza Event Center in Salina, Kansas. Um, and this will be a big-time matchup public versus private and there's been a lot of talk Tommy about oh we need this public private we need them separated we need a multiplier we need to just bump everybody up a class and and certainly that will come into even more focus as Bishop Miege takes on uh, a top-ranked Wellington team and probably one of the best teams that Wellington's ever had. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, that that question about a multiplier um, is going to come into clear focus with this game. And I think regardless of what the outcome is, you're going to have proponents and opponents 
that are going to be able to get ammunition one way or another. So a lot of a lot of eyes are going to be on this game for sure. One other score to tell you about Heston, 23 and 1 now. They got a first round win over Hugoton 46-34 at the Hutchinson Sports Arena. That's the boys 3A state tournament. Alternate genders will be in action tomorrow for first round games. So that would be today as you're watching or listening. Most of the action starts at 2 o'clock. And they already said, even though Kansas State uh, has their campus closed, the 2A state tournament will be played as scheduled uh, for uh, their first round games to open up. I'm not sure if it's boys or girls. I believe that's 2A at Bramlage Coliseum. But despite the snow, basketball goes on in Kansas for the state tournament. We move on now to additions, corrections, and retractions. Anything that we missed, Tommy? I know that there has been uh, just a couple of minor pieces of news in the National Football League over the last couple of days. Yeah, before I get to that, though, I do want to mention very quickly uh, that Bruce Weber uh, has done his uh, post-game press conference, uh, and I'm quoting Sully Ingalls, who's a reporter at, at Cake News here in Wichita, sure. uh, who's at the press conference. He said uh, that Bruce Weber is quoted as saying, I'm very proud of my time here. Uh, apparently, he talked about his two Big 12 titles in the Elite Eight run, listed the coaches that preceded him with their resumes, and noted that none of them won conference titles. He went on to say, K-State is a great place. Uh, apparently, he was moved to tears while continuing to talk about his time in Manhattan. Talks about his journey to get here, how much he's overcome. And he finished by saying, it's a crazy business. I loved it. I hope I get to continue. Uh, obviously, no word yet on exactly what will happen with Bruce Weber. But uh, wow. thought that was worth at least throwing in there. Mitch yeah, sure Tommy- sounds like a guy that might know that he's not going to be returning. I mean, it sounds like I, I agree with that. What I was going to say is, sounds like a guy who's campaigning for his job. And, you know, yeah. you know, we mentioned, hey, does he ride off into the sunset? I mean, if he's crying there, I'm not one of those guys that says, you know, crocodile tears or, you know, you're a man or all that. I, I, you know, if you feel emotion, if you feel strongly about something like that and you've built this and this is your life, I don't mind you being disappointed when it doesn't go your way. And so that. That, that sounds to me like a guy that's not ready to give up, Tommy. We talk about wanting guys that are holding the rope. I'm not saying that that's enough for him to keep his job, but it certainly you know sounds to me on first glance that Bruce Weber is not ready to leave Manhattan and that he is still all in on being their head coach. So this also is a, a tweet from Kellis Robinette, who's uh, the K-State beat writer uh, for the Wichita Eagle and the Kansas City Star. Uh, he says, Bruce Weber also said he had a reason for growing out his hair this season. He vowed not to cut it until the teams tangled up in the FBI cheating investigations. I assume that was a nod to KU got punished. So take what? That, uh, Take that as you will, uh, according to Kellis Robinson. That's Robinette. so. I mean, that that press conference is so Bruce Weber. I mean, we could not have drawn <laughs> up a better Bruce Weber. Like he not cutting his hair until they got punished. Like, why did you feel the need? What question led to that being answered? Like, know. oh well, you know no my idea. hair. I, he's I a, he's a nice guy. He's a, he is a nice guy. I've talked he's to him so goofy. on the show so a couple goofy. of times, but you know he's got that that high pitched voice. You know we just didn't play very well, and I, <laughs> I I don't even know what to think anymore, Tommy. Well, well now on to football. 
Yeah, yeah. So obviously the NFL world, uh, the, it was shook uh, on Tuesday with the announcement that Russell Wilson uh, was traded to the Denver Broncos. So uh, it's, it's got to be the most stacked quarterback division, the AFC West uh, yeah. in football, uh, with bar none without a doubt. When Derek Carr is probably the fourth best quarterback in that division, uh, that's a pretty stacked division with Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr. That's pretty loaded. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson matchup twice a year next season. I'm not. I'm not looking forward to seeing that at all. I wish he would be in some I other conference. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know what I like? I like seeing Chiefs. the Chiefs win. That's what's fun to me. What's not fun to me is getting my heart ripped out on the playoffs. I, you know, I Fair thought enough. that I was over that, and I probably still should be because they just won a Super Bowl, you know, what, two years ago. But uh, that one, that last one hurt. It hurt, Tommy. It hurt against the Bengals, and I don't want. Yeah, I, I don't want Denver to be good. That's that's good for football. It's good for the division. It's good for the NFL. It's not good for my health and well being as a Chiefs fan. That makes sense. Totally. I, understand. I don't like that. Uh, uh, anything I have a else? A couple for you? of other additions. That, yeah, yeah I, I don't want to take. Fine. Okay, just a couple more. Um, So I don't know if you saw the news that former KU basketball player Jeff Boshi is the new head coach at Pittsburgh State University. Uh, He spent eight years at Missouri Southern and uh, literally just came down within the the last couple of hours that he is the new head coach at Pitt State. And I know that uh, that probably, I know that, is a little bit close to you in your world with Newman. Uh, but I just thought that was uh, worthy of throwing into the ACs and R's your, your immediate reaction to that. I, I can't believe that actually. Um, first of all, that says something about Pittsburgh state because they have not been that competitive. They had coach Muff, Kevin Muff before Kim Anderson, uh, Kim Anderson right. announced that he retired. Never really got things going. He went to going. Missouri, right? Yeah, he went. He Didn't was Kim at, Anderson coach at Missouri for a while. He played at Missouri. He was a Big Eight co-player of the year back in like the seventies or eighties. Okay. Uh, he cut his chops. He got that job because he went to Central Missouri and had an unbelievable run. And his last year, they won the NCAA Division II national championship. He was an amazing coach for the Mules in Warrensburg. Got a chance at his alma mater at Missouri. It did not go well. He won right. way less than half of his games in the SEC. It, you know, it, it just didn't work out. So he gets the job at Pittsburgh State. Uh, that's a big time hire. I mean, he's got pedigree in the in the state. He's got pedigree in the conference. Um, but for whatever reason, just did not get the consistent lineup that they needed to be successful. Uh, Newman actually had some good success against them the last couple of years. Those games were really, really close. So he he had good players, just did not quite have, in my opinion, the chemistry. For Jeff Boshi to get hired, I, I'm, I'm floored by that because he had some really good teams. He coached Cam Martin for four years at Missouri Southern. And to me, what that says is Pitt State – they they had a little they had a little change lying around <laughs> and they said listen 
you come over here. We got better facilities, and they do have better facilities because of their foot. They, they have a much better football program. They've got state of the art. Uh, I mean, I, I cannot tell you how unbelievable their track and field training facility is. That's just adjacent to the basketball court there at John Lance Arena. It's uh, Eddie, you know, Eddie Lomshek, the voice of the gorillas. He took me over, showed me what they've got. It's unbelievable the the facilities that they have there, and I'm sure that that and probably a couple of you know dollar bills got him away. I that that blows my mind that he is at Pittsburgh State now. Uh, yep. I, I mean, I think Pittsburgh State is poised to be really, really good. I'm wondering how much of his staff is going to come with him. He, uh, Jamal DePriest, his assistant coach, actually was on R.J. Allen's initial staff at Newman as the lead assistant coach, helped Newman get to a couple of uh, Heartland Conference tournaments, probably should have been in the NCAA tournament their last year, if not for a first-round loss to Roger State, um, and he moved back with them. So another Wichita tie there. Wow, I, I I can't even process how crazy that is right <laughs> right there. Where does Missouri Southern I'll, I'll go? I'll let you. Wow. Yeah, I'll uh, let you think about that for yeah, a little while because I do have one you. more. Yeah, one more. I don't more, know if I can uh, take another bombshell like that. Tom. I know <laughs> this isn't a bombshell. Uh, Shocker baseball had a really rough start to their season. They, they, they kicked off the year zero and zero and six. However, they've rebounded some. They won the Frisco Classic over the weekend, so a much-needed victory. Uh, I have several victories for Eric Wedge's program, so hopefully they're starting to move in the right direction, but it was not a good start to the season. Well, not only that, but they did get a, a pretty nice win uh, on Tuesday. That was the home opener. It was chilly there. I actually got the opportunity to go to that sure. game as they beat Oral Roberts in that one uh, by the final of 6-4. to four. Man, this Peyton Tolley can flat out hit the freaking baseball. Yeah. That guy is yep. raking when he is up there. He had two strikeouts, looked awful the first two at-bats, and then the next one, bang! And there was no win. There was a no win. It was not win There was no win. It was weird to see the flag out there in right field at X Stadium just basically doing nothing. He crushed it to center field. Uh, but they had some really nice games. Will Stark had three hits. I think it was Andrew Stewart's first three hits that he had ever had and he went three for four cooper cornbloom had two hits shockers had a four run second inning in that game uh, got some pretty decent middle relief from lj mcdonough uh, so overall i think a lot to be excited about for wichita state didn't exactly put it away the way that they wanted to lj mcdonough kind of faded at the end let oral roberts get back into it with three runs in the seventh but they were able to, to, to close it off kind of holding god his fourth save so that was very, very good to see for Shocker Baseball. For uh, my additions, just real quickly, Nigel Pack was a first-team All-Big 12 player. Ochai Abaji, the unanimous Big 12 player of the year. Christian Brown was second-team. David McCormick, third-team. Jalen Wilson, third-team. Mark Smith, Kansas State, was third-team. Dewan Harris was honorable mention. Marquise Noel was honorable mention. Mark Smith, Big 12 All-Newcomer team. Uh, Big 12 All-Freshman team, K.J. Adams was on the All-Freshman team. Dewan Harris was Big 12 All-Defensive team on the men's side. Uh, on the women's side, well, I didn't have the women's up. I clicked on the wrong one. So I'm not sure. I'm sure there were some other women that got it that we missed 
for uh, the All Big 12 awards. So uh, look at those, you know, because they probably had some. Uh, final thing for us, Tommy. Oh, wait, I think I actually do. Yes, I do have them up here. My mistake. Uh, let's see. Was there anybody else on the second team? No, actually. I don't know why. Why does the Big 12 first team have like 25 players on it? And then the Big 12 second team has five and there's no third team. I don't understand. There, was, there were five unanimous players on the first team for the women and there's just no third team whatever who i don't know what they're doing uh that's it for us we're finally done appreciate you guys liking sharing subscribing uh filling in with us here today following us along we're going to be following the ncaa tournament very very closely and we will be back with you on the eve of march madness uh let's see Big 12 tournament this week, so we will be recapping first round games in the NCAA tournament when we are with you next, uh, coming up that, well, that the second to last week in March. Unbelievable that it is going to be here, and I think our plan is, as long as there's a team in, we're going to be with you weekly through the NCAA tournament. That's going to be what we're going to try to do. Um, show will probably be, especially in that week because we're doing alternate weeks may not be a full length show probably we'll just focus on the teams that are in so at this point it's looking like it's just going to be kansas but um we are going to be focusing on the miwa tournament or ncaa tournament very very closely uh, so we're looking forward to that and maybe we're talking a little bit of women's basketball in the ncaa tournament as well looks like the wildcats and the jayhawks will both be dancing there so that is what is on tap we will see you in a couple of weeks Final thing, Tommy, uh, anything you want to make of this uh, complete lack of Major League Baseball as the Royals are going to lose two full weeks of home dates here. Uh, we talk about pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, there appears to be no end in sight. And in this season that we both thought is going to be very pivotal to start the turnaround for the Royals, uh, it appears we're going to be waiting just a little bit longer for that as opening day has already been lost. And it appears that we're just days away from losing the entire first month of the baseball season. Yeah, it's it's absolutely disappointing um heartbreaking uh, i'm a huge baseball fan i look forward to opening day uh every year um you know that i think the most disappointing part about all of it is that the owners have had the players locked out since december uh they could have been working on this then sure uh, i'm not saying they hadn't it, it, it in some capacity but the in-depth long meetings and proposals and negotiating and all of that has really only gone on for the last couple of weeks. Uh, that should have been going on before the holidays should have been going on in January. At that point, something could have been worked out and we could have had a full season of baseball. Um, it's unfortunate. Uh, and uh, especially, you know, I don't think baseball really ever fully recovered after the strike in 94. Uh, and they're, you know, getting ready to, to miss games this coming season. And especially when you've had, interrupted baseball and sports with COVID over the last couple of years. Uh, you look for a sense of normalcy to return and for baseball to just completely shit the bed. Pardon my French. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just, it's really, it's really disheartening. Yeah. It's sad to see something that is such a part of American, you know, tradition and culture, just basically killing itself in front of you. Yep. And, yep. you know, willfully doing it for the owners, you know, these yeah. billionaires yep. 
I don't think there's anybody on the side of the owners right now. Sometimes, yeah, the no. players can be whiny, um, can be in the wrong. They have been in the past in labor disputes. I don't think this is one of them, to, to be quite frank with you. I think the owners are yeah. completely missing the train here, especially at a time when baseball's not super popular. And, you know, I listen, I hate soccer. I hate soccer. But soccer is gaining traction. If you want something to come in in the big four and knock out one of those big four, because I don't think it's going to be hockey now that they're back on ESPN, if you're baseball, go ahead and miss this season. Go ahead and miss this season and give people an excuse to go find a soccer game to watch, and let's see how things are looking in 2025 if you keep this crap up. That's all I'm going to say about it. That's it for Tommy. I'm Blake. You can find us on Twitter at CogPod. What a terrible ending to the show. I'm talking about it shouldn't even brought up Kansas City Royals baseball. Who knows when we'll get to talk about Royals baseball. How are we going to do a show in the summer without Royals baseball? How is that even possible? I'm not that smart. I can't come up with topics out of out of thin air. I need something to talk about in the summer. Uh, we're at CogPod on Twitter. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, who we will never betray and never, never forget, uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can always follow me at tweets from Tommy and Blake. We can always talk about golf. <laughs> I, Wichita golf. Is there Wichita golf? Is that enough? Can we sustain it on Wichita golf? I, I we can try. Uh, I'm at B Crips on Twitter. Uh, you know, if there's one thing I can say that will brighten your day, we've got big time college basketball coming up. Going to be a great month. We'll have it documented for you right here on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.